0: If you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to Isaiah chapter 23. Isaiah 23, and that's all we will cover this afternoon. We'll be in Isaiah 23 this week. Uh, then the following two weeks, we will cover all of uh, chapters 24 through 27. And then we'll be taking a, a four-week break um, for a series on stewardship that uh, the four elders will each be taking a different topic and walking through stewardship. I think Joshua is going to kick us off thinking about the stewardship of our bodies. Trevor is going to talk about stewardship of our finances the following week. I'm going to talk about the stewardship of creation and what that means within the scriptures. And then Joel will finish us off thinking about stewardship of our time. Um, So I'm looking forward to hearing from from. Uh, each of the elders, and I hope you are as well, be praying for us. But our text today is Isaiah 23. Um, as most of you know, some from firsthand experience, Louisville, Kentucky is the headquarters for UPS Airlines. It's where all of the packages that are fly, many packages that are, flying from, that are shipped by UPS fly out of Louisville. UPS, according to the internet, flies to 815 destinations worldwide, which is more than any other airline, commercial or otherwise, delivering packages all over the world. But unless you've worked the conveyor belts of UPS, or like Ken, you work for a company that designs and installs the systems that, that make those uh, conveyor belts run, then you probably don't think much about the logistics that it takes for you to click a button uh, and have your Amazon order arrive two days later. But a well-run shipping hub, like the one that's here in our city is what makes that possible. Expand maybe your thoughts beyond the shipping that happens by air from companies like UPS, and we can think about the fact that there's significant transferring of goods that happens by sea. Uh, one thing that I saw said that there's over 600 million containers on the ocean. Uh, and the major ports of the world are a vital part of our, our global economy. Even today, without the, the smooth running of, of these ports, the the commerce and trade of the world would be massively affected. This is Shanghai. This is the busiest port. And if you think about Shanghai, Shanghai is obviously in China. And when we think about global trade and you start to think about the coronavirus and you start to think about shipping and you realize if something like this, a port shuts down, how much it affects global trade and how things are are being shipped around. I say all that because in Isaiah's day, one of the most important ports in the Mediterranean was in the city of Tyre. Tyre is right here up, you can see Philistia and then Tyre and Sidon, which is kind of the twin city often associated with Tyre. It's amongst all these other nations that Isaiah was prophesying to. And it's it's this city and and Sidon that the final oracle of these these 10 oracles is addressed to here in Isaiah chapter 23. Uh, Tyre in Isaiah's day was in fact an island, Uh, And the mainland sort of served to support the island city. But its final conqueror, who was Alexander the Great, not only changed the leadership of Tyre, but also changed the geography of Tyre. This is a map that sort of describes what Alexander the Great did. And there was during a a seventh month siege on the island city, Alexander and his army constructed this causeway. They used some of the famous um, cedars of Lebanon, and also rubble from the mainland city, threw it there into the the water that separated uh, the city of Tyre or the, the island of Tyre from the mainland and built a causeway all the way out so that they could attack the city of Tyre. And they eventually did after those seven months and defeated that city. This causeway then stayed, obviously, changed all the currents and the tides that were there and and eventually enough sand and, and sediment built up that the island was connected with the mainland and it was fully embraced. And this is what Tyre looks like now. So this is Google Maps. Tyre is completely connected to the mainland at this point. It was once an island. You can hardly even tell that it was. But now it's just this uh, sort of isthmus there outside. Uh, but before all of that, Tyre was this major port for the Phoenician Empire and for all of the Mediterranean. You can see Tyre's over here um, on, on the right side of the map. And these are some of the Phoenician trade routes. Um, some of the other major cities that were a part of this, you can see Carthage, maybe you've heard of Carthage, that was one of the major Phoenician cities. And then in our text, we talk about a city called uh, Tarshish, which could be over here near uh, Gibraltar or Cadiz, Gadir. Somewhere in that area is possibly where, where Tarshish was. Its exact location is unknown. It could also have been over um, near Utica and, and Carthage. But needless to say, the Phoenician Empire was, was a massive shipping group. They, and Tyre was a major part of that. There's tons of goods being going back and forth, and Tyre was was at the the center of it. And in fact they were building tons of ships, especially in Tarshish. The the ships were even known as ships of Tarshish. Now, why the history and geography lesson? Maybe you're wondering. I thought we were talking about the Bible. Uh, My hope is is that I I want us to see the prominence of Tyre as an economic and a trade center in the ancient world. Because seeing that, we, we can understand that their greatest temptation would be to trust in their wealth. And the temptation of the nations around them, including Judah, would be to trust in Tyre and their wealth. Money and wealth continue to be tempting foundations to build our hopes on. We imagine that that money can get us everything that that we need and even protect us from harm. We we trust our own wealth or we trust the wealth of our workplace or we trust the wealth of our nation. But as Isaiah continues to call us to trust in the Lord as the only solid foundation, he reveals that even wealthy and well-positioned Tyre was not invincible. And in the end, her wealth could not save her. And so the Lord through Isaiah says to us in this final oracle, he says, if you trust in the Lord rather than the wealth of the world, then the wealth of the kingdom will be yours. If you trust in the Lord rather than the wealth of the world. So there's there's the contrast. Let's trust in the Lord, not not the wealth of the world. And if you trust in the Lord rather than the wealth of the world, then the wealth of the kingdom will be yours. That's one way to communicate it. Jesus said it like this, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or as we read earlier, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. If you trust the Lord rather than the wealth of the world, Then the wealth of the kingdom will be yours. Whether we have it or not, worldly wealth tempts us. We imagine that if we just made a little bit more, it would make our present more comfortable and it would make our future more secure. But we need to beware of allowing the good gifts of the Lord to become idols that we worship or that we trust in. And this oracle does just that for us. So I want to read Isaiah 23. It begins in verses 1 through 14 with a poem speaking about what was coming for Tyre. And then verses 15 through 18 talk about a a future uh, for Tyre, a future that came true in part and is still waiting to come true. So Isaiah 23, beginning in verse 1. The oracle concerning Tyre. Whale, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is laid waste without house or harbor. From the land of Cyprus, it is revealed to them. Be still, O inhabitants of the coast. The merchants of Sidon who crossed the sea have filled you. And on many waters, your revenue was the grain of Shihor, the harvest of the Nile. You were the merchant of the nations. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken, the stronghold of the sea saying, I have neither labored nor given birth. I have neither reared young men nor brought up young women. When the report comes to Egypt, They will be in anguish over the report about Tyre. Cross over to Tarshish, wail, O inhabitants of the coast. Is this your exultant city whose origin is from days of old, whose feet carried her to settle far away? Who has purposed this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders were the honored of the earth? The Lord of hosts has purposed it to defile the pompous pride of all glory to dishonor all the honored of the earth. Cross over your land like the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no restraint anymore. He has stretched out his hand over the sea. He has shaken the kingdoms. The Lord has given command concerning Canaan to destroy its strongholds. And he said, you will no more exalt, O oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon. Arise, cross over to Cyprus. Even there, you will have no rest. Behold, the land of the Chaldeans. This is the people that was not. Assyria destined it for wild beasts. They erected their siege towers. They stripped her palaces bare. They made her a ruin. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is laid waste. In that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, like the days of one king. At the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre in the song as in the song of the prostitute. Take a harp, go about the city, O forgotten prostitute. Make sweet melody, sing many songs that you may be remembered. At the end of 70 years, the Lord will visit Tyre, and she will return to her wages and will prostitute herself with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. Her merchandise and her wages will be holy to the Lord. It will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before the Lord. It was with the ships of Tarshish that Isaiah begins and ends this first part of the oracle. He starts in verse 1 with the ships of Tarshish and ends with them in verse 14. And between those bookends, what's really helpful to understand this passage are all of the commands In verse one, it's wail. Verse two, be still. Verse four, be ashamed. Verse six, cross over. Verse 10, cross over. And verse 14, wail. And all these commands help us to understand uh, or give us a, a feel for how the people of Tyre and how the whole Mediterranean responded or maybe how they should have responded to the fall of Tyre to its enemy Assyria and then to its subsequent enemies. And so let's think about these first verses in terms of the response when worldly wealth fails. The, the response when worldly wealth fails. What does that look like? I'm gonna give you four responses to the failure of worldly wealth. Verse one, the first response is sorrow. Sorrow. Uh, the opening image is of these ships of Tarshish, and they're presumably laden with, with goods that they're bringing to the people of Tyre, probably being sailed by men of Tyre. And, and they're getting to re, to, ready to make the short trip from the island of Cyprus over to Tyre. And as they're there, word arrives from Tyre that says, Tyre is no more. Tyre has been laid waste and its harbor is completely gone. They send word and they, they, they call to the, the people on the ship, they say, weep and wail over the fall of our city. It's describing the, the certain future of all those who trust in wealth. Because a day will come when everything that money can buy is laid waste. It may be in this life or it may be on the last day, but the future of faith in financial wealth is sorrow and weeping. It will not last. In addition to sorrow, those trusting in worldly wealth will one day respond in stunned silence. see that in verses two and three. Stunned silence is the second response. You can imagine a port. You can imagine a a, a port like like Tyre, just this bustling place. You just think about all of the, the loading and the unloading of the ships, the trade that was probably happening right there on the docks, the excitement of arriving boats, the busyness of it all. It might be compared to the, to the stock market trading floor before computers, <laughs> where people were, were shouting back and forth. They were making deals like their lives depended on it. But the command of verse two is for those in Tyre to do what? to be still and to be silent. At that port trade is no longer occurring. It's just eerily quiet. Verse three indicates that that Tyre was a place of international commerce. It was this spot where the excess grain of Egypt was bought and sold. But now there's no more ships in the harbor. There's no more money to be made in Tyre. It's silent. Some people panic when they lose everything. But other people just sort of stand in stunned silence. And the lesson is that no matter how successful a business or a bank account might be, no matter how bustling or busy it appears to be one day, it's moments away from collapse. It can all fall apart in a minute. Sorrow, stunned silence. The third reaction is shame. Shame in verse four. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken. The stronghold of the sea saying, I have neither labored nor given birth. I have neither reared young men nor brought up young women. What does that mean? Uh, we're told in, in verse five that uh, Egypt is, uh, I'm sorry, that we're told that, that, they, that they are to be ashamed probably because they've come to the realization that with the failure of all their worldly wealth, they also have left no legacy. They invested their lives, the people of Tyre, in the pursuit of money and in the pursuit of riches, but now they have no children or family to show for it. No enduring memory. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. There's this idea that there's a a way to, to make money that means you're going to leave it to bless others. And then there's a way to make money that means that you're going to leave none of it to bless others and other people will take it up. And that's what happens in Tyre. Shame fills them. They have no legacy. Sorrow, silence, shame. The final response, similar to the others, is shock. Shock. Verse five, we're told that the that Egypt is going to mourn Tyre's fall because it's a collapse would affect their economy as well. You think about this major port where they're selling grain. If Tyre fails, then Egypt starts to lose money as well. Verses 6 and 7 talk about Tyre not as a, a place where people were going to come into, but now it's a place where people are fleeing, refugees of war. The residents are retreating to Tarshish. And no one could believe that this city, this old ancient city, Fortified with massive high walls. Now it's a city that was, that was filled with the wealth of the nations. Now it has been conquered. There's nothing left of Tyre. As you think about Tyre and its fall, you, we might look to the history books and we see this kind of sorrow, stunned silence, shame, and shock in response to something like the stock market crash of 1929 and the Great Depression that followed. Or we might think about more recent days, something like September 11th. In a moment, these these two pillars of the wealth of our nation and the wealth of the world just came crashing down. That was a day that had worldwide effects that continue to this day. And think about how fast it happened and how unexpected it was. The first plane struck at 8.46 a.m., The second tower fell at 10.28 a.m. Less than two hours, and the whole world changed. Tyre and the Twin Towers and all the failure of worldly wealth in between remind us that the wealth of a nation or the money that we hold on to, it will soon fail us. If we're trusting in worldly wealth, then one day our response to that is going to be sorrow stunned silence, shame, and shock, because it's all gonna be gone. The second half of this poem in verses eight to 14 gets at the, at the how and the why of money's failure. It shows us the reason behind worldly wealth's failure. So we're thinking about the response first. Now we're thinking about the reason behind worldly wealth's failure. Because the people of Tyre and everywhere in the ancient world were saying, how could this have happened? Why did it happen? And verse 8 shows us they should also have asked, who has done this? And not surprisingly, we find that the Lord had done it. So if we're thinking about the reason behind worldly wealth's failure, the, the first most obvious reason is God's sovereign plan. Why did it fall apart? Because of God's sovereign purpose and plan. This, this theme of God's purposing and planning all things has been showing up a lot in these oracles. And it's here as well in verses eight and nine. Look at those verses again. They ask the question, who has purposed this against Tyre? The bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders were the honored of the earth. Verse nine gives the answer. The Lord of hosts has purposed it to defile the pompous pride of all glory, to dishonor all the honored of the earth. More specifically than what we see in verse nine is that it was God's sovereign plan, but it was also their wealth failed because of God's purpose to humble them. God had a purpose in letting their wealth fail and it was to humble them. From the outside, Tyre's wealth made them look so strong and unshakable. They're described in verse eight as this city that bestows crowns. They built cities, they established rulers all over the Phoenician Empire that spread from the Mediterranean to Africa, all the way to Spain. They had colonies, they were like Britain of old. And yet God had purposed destruction against them. He describes it in verses 10 through 14. We're told in verse 13 that the Assyrians are going to come first, but others are going to come also. They're all going to destroy the wealth of Tyre. And yet more than their wealth, what was God trying to destroy? He was trying to destroy their pride. God was not concerned so much with Tyre's possessions. He was concerned with their pride. And in that we're we're reminded of something very important. We're reminded that wealth and money and possessions are not bad in and of themselves. Riches can be and often are a blessing from God when we studied what Proverbs has to say about money, we referenced this helpful quote from Albert Barnes. So I wanna read it again. Albert Barnes says, there is no sin in merely being rich. Where sin exists among the rich, it arises from the manner in which wealth is acquired, the spirit which it tends to engender in the heart and the way in which it is used. So sin comes from, not from money, but it comes from how we get money, how we use money, and how money changes the way that we look at God and others. Sin rises not from money itself, but from how we get it, how we use it, and how it changes us. We're going to think about the way that Tyre acquired money in a few moments, but the focus here is on the fact that that God was bringing Tyre down because of the prideful spirit that their wealth had brought about in them. Their wealth had changed the way that they looked at God. Their money had given them a spirit of pride. They thought about their wealth and they thought it was the fruit of their own work. So it was something that glorified them. They were wealthy, so they were honored by the people around them. They were invited to all the biggest parties. They were shown deference at, at Tyres restaurants and social clubs. They got the best tables. They made the list of the most prosperous cities in the Mediterranean, whatever magazine was popular in that day. They didn't check the price tag when they went to buy their clothes because it didn't matter because they had so much money. And all of this sort of went to their heads. They started to think that their wealth made them invincible. They started to think that it might save them in the end. And so in an act to humble them and to teach Judah a lesson by example, the Lord allowed Assyria to sweep over Tyre like the Nile sweeps over all of Egypt. All of their riches, verse 13 says, would be stripped bare and would be taken far away. Their strong walls would be breached and all of their wealth would be robbed. And the hope, verse 12, that God had was that they would no longer exalt themselves. He said, you will no more exalt, O oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon. As I say that, do you see the grace in God's judgment on Tyre? He was humbling Tyre. He was stripping them of their wealth that they trusted it. And there's this hope that having taken away their wealth, they would turn and trust in him instead. That they would trust the Lord rather than the wealth of the world. But primarily, remember, these are written to God's people. And so the, the lesson was for God's people it was for them to turn from trusting in riches or from trusting in those who are rich. Don't trust in Tyre. Don't trust in the wealth of the nations that surround you. Tyre exemplifies the comparison of Proverbs 18, verses 10 and 11. Proverbs 18, verses 10 and 11 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. In contrast, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. (laughs) It's not really strong. He just thinks it's strong. The rich man's wealth fails him because salvation is only found in the Lord. Remember, God's wrath is against us because of our sin. And no matter that, there's no amount of money that can pay him off because he requires perfection, and he requires eternal punishment to clear our debt. But in his love, in his love, he has sent Jesus to pay our debt for us. Christ comes and he pays for our salvation, not with money, pays for it with his own life. And by faith, we're able to run to and we're able to run into Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law or from wealth, but that comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. And when we run into the name of the Lord, we are safe and we are secure forever. If you are trusting in something other than Jesus' death and resurrection to pay your sin debt, then on the last day you will be sorrowful, stunned, shocked, and full of shame. But if you humble yourself and you trust in Christ, then you will be found in him and nothing can shake you, not even hell itself. This passage has a word for those of us who have put our eternal hope in Christ, because while we have entrusted our souls to Jesus' care, sometimes we start to think that money will bring security to all the other areas of our lives. We start to think that we can trust Jesus for our spiritual lives, but I need to trust in some business acumen and some finances for security in the other areas of my life. We find salvation in Jesus, but we seek satisfaction in the things that we can buy. Should we save money? Yes. Yeah, it's not bad to have a savings account. Are our possessions, even really nice ones, are they a bad thing? No. But money and stuff are so tempting that we need often to be reminded that, that the security that's offered by money and possessions is temporary at best. That's not where our hope lies. Jesus spoke a lot about money. Uh, we, we're, we're in this passage, so we're not going to think about everything that Jesus said about money. But Jesus has a lot to say about how New Kingdom people think about money. One way that he explains this kind of idea, though, is in a parable from Luke 12, verses 16 through 21. He says, "'The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, "'What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops?' I think in some ways this oracle asks us how much barn building we are doing. How much time and energy do we spend in amassing wealth as compared to how much time and energy we invest in being right towards God? How much pleasure do our possessions bring us compared to how much pleasure Christ in seeking his kingdom brings us? Worldly wealth is a good gift but it's a weak foundation and we need to be careful that we're not building our lives on it. Well, seeing the responses to the failure of worldly wealth, seeing the reasons for its failure, there's this shift that happens in verses 15 to 18. And we find this unique word regarding the future of worldly wealth. That's the last thing I want us to think about, the future of worldly wealth. What's gonna happen to wealth in the end. Uh, Verse 15 begins with this statement, in that day. And it points to a a fulfillment in Judah's near future. And it also points to a fulfillment that's still yet to come even for us. It says that that Tyre is going to be forgotten, but just in the the short term, they're gonna be forgotten for 70 years and then they're going to rise again. And they're gonna pick up right where they left off. It talks about, you maybe noticed it, that they're going to sing uh, the song of the prostitute. And that song of verse 16 and then the statement of verse 17 speak to the ways that, that Tyre acquired wealth, how they got wealth and how that was in fact sinful. Uh, the commentator Maltier says, says it this way. He says, the foremost thought here is the mercenary motive that was ever the mainspring of Tyre's activity. All, as in prostitution, was done for money. He writes, consider Amos one nine, where the prophet's complaint against Tyre is that nothing was allowed to stand in the way of making profit, neither human pity, nor the moral obligations of the covenant. What Matyar is saying is that Tyre was ruthless in getting worldly wealth. And they, they built their kingdom on the backs of the weak and of the poor. And they would do it again. They did it again, just as is true today. Just as is true today, countless industries in our world are building wealth at the expense of others. From coffee, to pornography, to chocolate, to sports, to almost anything you can think of, people make money at the expense of others. And the fact that Tyre picked up right where they left off reminds us that this kind of uncompassionate, worldly way of making money is going to continue until Christ returns. But there is hope. There is hope in small ways now and in fullness in the future, that all wealth will be a means of glorifying God and of blessing others. There's a day coming when, when all wealth will be a means of glorifying God and of blessing others. It's interesting, I always thought, well, wealth is just gonna disappear in the last day, but it sounds like here in the last day that wealth is just gonna be turned to be used for what it's supposed to be used for, for glorifying God and for blessing others. All wealth will be used that way. The future of, the, of worldly wealth is that it will be used to glorify God and bless others. That's what you see in verse 18. Speaking of Tyre, it says, her merchandise and her wages will be holy to the Lord. It will, be, it will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for who? For those who dwell before the Lord. Uh, this is going to happen for God's people when the temple is rebuilt. We're, we're told during that time in Ezra 3, verses 6 and 7, it says, from the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and to the Tyrians, Sidon and Tyre, to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. The wealth that Tyre had acquired is going to be sent to Jerusalem to build the temple. That was what was going to happen. All of that worldly wealth, was going to be redeemed for the glory of God. It's great when you think about it, except that temple was destroyed, wasn't it? And, and all of its riches were plundered. And so there's a sense in which we see glimpses of worldly wealth being used for the good of others and for the glory of God, but not fully, not fully until the last day. There's a day when all worldly wealth will be holy and will be glorifying to the Lord. Speaking of the heavenly city, this is what Revelation 21 says. Revelation 21, 24 through 26. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. There's a day coming when the nations will no longer hoard their money for themselves, and nor will they trust in it for their security, but they're going to bring it to the new Jerusalem for the glory of God and for the good of his people. What is the future of worldly wealth? The future is that will all be used for the glory of God and for the good of others. And if that's the future hope of wealth for the kingdom, then why not step into that now? The kingdom is, is still coming, but the kingdom is, is here now. The, and the coming of Jesus means that, that, that God's kingdom has broken in upon us. And so if that's the future, the, if the, the future goodness of worldly wealth is, is that it's used for, for the good of others and for the glory of God, then why don't we try to experience that in some way now? Barry Webb says this, he says, Wealth is the gift of God, and it will eventually return to the giver. The nations may prostitute themselves in pursuit of this, but the people of God must not. They are to seek God and his righteousness, and in so doing, they will eventually inherit all things. If all worldly money and possessions will give honor to God on the last day, then why not invest our money and our possessions, and our possessions in God's glory now? Why not, why not use our money to honor the Lord and to bless others? with our generosity. What's interesting is if, when, when money is no longer something that we're trusting in, when we, when we don't find our security in how much money we have, then it becomes something that we can use to bless others and to be blessed by blessing others as we honor God with our money. I think generosity has a, an effect on our souls when we give things away, you know what it says? It says, my hope is not in this money. <laughs> I freely give you this because this is not where my hope and my confidence is. When, when you give things away, your hands are telling your heart, this will not save me. And so I freely give it. The beauty of the kingdom is that if you trust in the Lord rather than the wealth of the world, then the wealth of the kingdom will be yours. If you give away the gift of money for the glory of God and the good of others, then you'll get everything else. If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else will be added unto us. I think this passage then sort of gives us a choice. The choice is that that we can trust in wealth, and we can have some good times now, all the while knowing that it's going to fail us in the end and it's going to lead to sorrow Stunned silence, shame, and shock. Or we can allow God to humble us and lead us to trust in Christ alone for our salvation. And from that place of trust, being being freed from the burden of gathering money as our security, we can just start to give it away for God's glory, for the good of others, and even for the joy that comes through generosity. We can have freedom and we can have joy now and we can have all the riches of the kingdom in the age to come. Two options. I like the second one. (laughs) Makes most sense to me. As I thought about it, I thought, well, maybe we could all find a way this week to be generous. a A way to sort of cement in our hearts that our hope and our joy is in Christ, not in money, not in possessions. I don't know what that looks like. There's a million ways to be generous. Maybe it means you, you write a check to someone like recenter or to refuge. Maybe you start to sponsor a child through world vision or compassion or maybe you just buy your friend coffee or lunch and you just show generosity that my hope is not in money and my hope is not in my bank account. And, and as you do it, you do it in a way that that honors God, that says this is this is not my ultimate hope. Again, it, it could be a thousand things. It, but they're just simple things. And yet they're small and consistent ways to crush the hold of money on our hearts and to fill us with joy in Jesus alone. If we're trusting in worldly wealth, whether for our salvation or for our joy, for our security, it's gonna fail us and it's just gonna lead to misery. But if our hope is in Christ, it's going to lead to joy. And it also means that we're going to get all the riches of the kingdom in the end. So I invite you to, through generosity, rid yourself of the stranglehold that wealth and riches can have on you, and to trust in Christ alone and to find your joy in him.